0: On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we welcome on a very special guest. You may know him as the former head coach of the men's basketball team at Virginia Tech. You may also recognize him from ESPN's College Game Day. That's right, we're welcoming on the one and only Seth Greenberg. We had a great time talking to Seth. We covered everything from what he's been watching during the quarantine time, now that we don't have sports. Spoiler alert it may involve Netflix's most watched TV show at the moment. Then we talk about how the sports can come back, who the first league that he thinks would return, and then we focus on some of Seth's highlights of his career, things like beating Coach K and Roy Williams in the same week. We had a really good time. We talked golf. We talked pizza. We talked everything under the sun. Who's a better golfer, him or Jay Billis? You're just going to have to tune in to find out, and while you're here, everyone go check out Seth's own podcast called Courtside with Dockett and Greenberg or follow him on Twitter, at SethOnHoops. So
1: without further ado, here's episode 70, Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in, talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win, pop culture to movies, let's start up the combo, Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. keep it authentic and it's always live, so competitive, so you know it's always hype, make sure you subscribe, trust you don't want to miss, going all in, here on Double Down Trent, hey, yeah, Double Down Trent, let's go.
0: This is Double Down Trent. All right. Welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host, as always. And on today's episode, Mr. Model. Welcome back to the show, my man.
1: It's really exciting to be back. I love this. We're having a special guest on. We're talking uh, hoops. We're talking pop culture. It's going to be a blast I'm just ready to jump in and get along for the ride and see where you guys take this.
0: Absolutely. And we've got our insider, Coulter. Steve, how you doing, my man?
2: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk some college basketball. It's been five weeks without sports, and I feel like I'm going a little stir crazy. Yeah. Well, without
0: further ado, let's bring on our special guest. You know him as the former men's basketball coach at Virginia Tech and host or co-host of College Game Day, Seth Greenberg. Seth, thanks for joining us.
3: What's up? Great to be with you guys. Uh, how's life? How are you guys surviving?
0: We're uh, we're holding up. You know, it's been tough during quarantine times. Uh, no sports to talk. Our podcast has been slow. Uh, but thank God we've got some uh, some TV shows and some pop culture stuff to talk about.
3: No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, the most important thing, I, and before we get into that stuff, all that stuff, I understand it's slow and it's hard and it's difficult. It's out of our comfort zone. But if we want to get out of our comfort zone in terms of getting back to our comfort zone and Hopefully, people who have ever listened to this thing understand how important it is to be comfortable being uncomfortable right now. And that's just, you know, like I just talk to my teams all the time. And, you know, at some point in your life, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Once you get through that, that you can kind of get to the next step. So hopefully whoever's listening understands that, let's have a little patience and we can get through this thing. Yep. Couldn't have said
0: it better myself. Uh, we were talking uh, before this, I haven't left my apartment in a week. Literally been stuck indoors,
3: and that's what we gotta do. <laughs> if you care about the, the doctors and the hospital workers and the nurses and the police officers and the first responders and the people that are moving our food chain and the people that are working in stores so that we're able to be fed, I mean, if you have any respect for someone else, it's like, you know it's the old great, great Bill Belichick, line: do your job. Well, you know, Our job right now, if we're not one of those people, our job is to sit tight, make good decisions uh, so that, you know, quite honestly, we can get to our next play, which hopefully is, you know, to get our lives back. But until we have some discipline to do those things, we have no shot.
0: I couldn't agree more. Just everyone stay home. Let's let's do what we got to do. It's not that hard. Just do what we need to do. Stay home. Be with your families.
1: And this is especially important on the special days. So, Seth, you're joining us on one of your special days. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that this is your birthday, and we're doing this via video chat. You're really being the uh, lighthouse on a hill example of uh, how we should all be doing this in an uncomfortable way to make sure that we're safer for everyone.
3: I look pretty good for 40, don't I? Oh, phenomenal.
1: Well, happy birthday.
3: I am in better shape because the only time I go outside is I'm walking about 10 miles a day. And my dog, uh, the famous Jake, the wonder dog, uh, he's had it with me right now. I mean, he's like, it. You know, I said, Jake, you want to go for a walk? He'll go the first time. I go to the second time. He goes, dude, you're
2: on your own. Go for You've your never walk. been walked not, as this many th- times in five weeks, span. I bet. Oh, it's crazy. It's <laughs> so one of the
0: things that we've all been doing is watching shows. We talk shows, movies to try and pass the time. What's been one uh, that you've been particularly glued to during these uh, quarantine times?
3: I wouldn't say glued to, but uh, we started watching uh, my man uh, Tiger King and Joe Exotic. I mean, that, that dude is sick. That's just <laughs> right there. I mean, you talk about first of all that whole culture. I mean, they walk around uh, and with these tigers in their cars like they're a pet. Like, 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 like my man Joe's just like rubbing my man. My man can take his hand off. And he's rubbing them like he's, you know, he's gonna be in a friskies commercial. I mean, it's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and then like think about the cast of characters in the thing. I mean, like, if you had to paint a picture of like, all right, here are some really guys that have serious issues, and like you go right down the line, including that lady, she might be the sickest of them all. I mean, she might have killed her old man, chopped him up, and fed him to the tigers. I mean,
2: <laughs> come on. She said so in the documentary. She gave us the formula. Rub fish oil on a body and then the Tigers lead it all up. (laughs) I couldn't believe that.
3: (laughs) Look, I mean, she gave the formula. But I mean, like, just, I mean, like, look, I grew up in New York. All right? And I've coached all all over. I've coached at, you know, Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, Virginia. I've coached in, obviously, Long Beach State, South Florida, Virginia, Columbia University, where I coached guys who are a lot smarter than me. Uh, But, like, here's the deal. Like, I coached at South Florida. Like that lady's place is in Tampa. I didn't realize people were that nutty just up the street. <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing you know, someone's devious when she says something that's really bizarre and then has that sick, eerie laugh to her. I mean, and then my, 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 my man Joe, I mean, like, he's, I mean, like, uh, think of it. he's running for governor, he's running for president, he's got four boy, uh, husbands, he's got, uh, or whatever they are. Um, he's got guns. He's shooting things. He's but the guy is actually down deep, as wacko as he
0: is. He's a genius. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're all talking about him. He was a sensation. It's been like the thing that saved Netflix and everyone during the quarantine time. I would love to know, though, the one of the husbands that did the whole interview without his shirt on, what what did they possibly say to him to convince him that? He had no teeth and no shirt. Yeah.
2: And then he got he got upset afterwards because he did he has teeth now. He's like, why didn't the filmmakers fill me with teeth? It's like, well, you didn't have them when we were I mean,
3: filming. That guy would just like be sitting there, all right, and and like, I mean, it, he, I, I actually had to just turn away and just listen because it was so disgusting. All right, and then you got the other guy. I mean, think about, like, the guy that blew his brains out. Yeah. I mean, right, right in front of the other guy that was supposed to be the same guy in the whole thing, by the way, by like Episode 5, the same guy wasn't so sane. He looked just like the rest of them.
2: Yeah. When when you hang out with a cast of characters like that, you go insane pretty quickly, right? It's like proximity theory. And then the poor guy that lost his legs, he's probably the most normal
3: guy of them all. Like, he's the the voice of reason. Which is crazy. And the, the gal with one arm, she was always the voice of one reason. Of reason. I mean, like, I'm sitting there going... This is um like if this was a car I could see it as a cartoon. This was like real life. I mean, they were taking food from Kmart or Walmart or whatever it was that was supposed to be for the tigers, and that was dinner. I mean, the whole thing was just you know it was it was fasc- and it was fascinating. I mean, the guns and the I mean like the it just it was crazy. And then and then the other guy, the guy with uh, low, yeah. I mean, how about that dude? And then the, the big huge heavy guy that was uh like
2: oh on the jet ski they said
3: businessman. I'd like to Yeah, no jet,
2: the business, jet ski said, guy. Come on now.
0: <laughs> that jet ski moment might be my single favorite piece of TV that's come out of anything this year.
3: Like in the <laughs> yeah. in a <the> haircut too. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. That's that's like like the I we haven't started watching Ozark yet. That's gonna be the next one. Like that's a fictional. My man, Joe Exotic is real life. I mean, this is really <laughs> shit that's happening. I mean, come on now. I mean, like, how many Joe Exotics do you think are out there? Or how about the dude that is like the normal one that has the the other one where he has he takes in these women and he's got three or four he has three or four wives and like you know he, he's making like the tigers a sex show. Yeah
2: like, come on. he's the one that's sending the tigers to the Hollywood studios for movies and stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's, it's so bizarre. I mean, I'm
2: just so intrigued by all of it, but it's just, it was one of the strangest TV shows I've ever watched. It's like a train wreck in person with tigers. I mean, the, the girl getting her arm ripped off was probably not even in the top five most ridiculous things that happened in the show. And her arm was ripped off by a tiger. And she just, I just take it off. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> She's she back at work seven work. days later. Yeah. Like,
3: <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad. It's riveting. Um, like I'm, my man had was passing out condoms with his face on it. <laughs> Who does that?
0: <laughs> he is just a strange character. I just say I, I don't even know.
3: All right, Apparently. so yeah, I'm, I'm not at the very end. Is is he going to be in jail forever? So
0: I think so. Apparently, someone brought it up to uh, to Trump if he if he would pardon Joe Exotic. They now came wait. out with a, a follow up. Yeah, there's a follow up episode. I didn't watch it. Steve, did you, did you catch the last uh, episode? Is there one after the finale? Yeah. So Netflix apparently came out and put one more out, uh, oh, it's like a, an epilogue. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, the whole NBA. Wow! There. I gotta watch that tonight.
3: I mean, like, I mean, like the whole NBA's watching it, and then yeah. you know, we're gonna get through that. See, we're we're big on you guys. You guys, simple TV like Blacklist. My man Red. There's no one better than Red. <laughs> right? You gotta love Blacklist. I mean, Blacklist is big. Uh you know, uh my my, my man uh Hank and in, in, what is it uh Chicago, Chicago PD? Hank's a bad dude, you know, like here you don't screw out with Hank. Like Hank's like the baddest ass in there there is, like he's above everything, especially when he gets him in that cage.
0: Yeah. Watch, so our uh our last it episode we covered, we covered um Better Call Saul and the Breaking Bad spinoff. Are you are you watching any of those
3: shows? No, no, what is that no? It's, it's called Better Call Saul? No, we might have to look in that, in, into as many as we can because I don't think we're getting out of this anytime soon. <laughs> I it hear you. so many times I can walk Jake or watch old game film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good segue. Yeah, obviously, we missed March Madness uh, and, and all the good things that come along with it. Um, it it's just a crazy scenario right now. And, and I wanted to get your opinion on how you think we can kind of Return to basketball if there is going to be a return anytime soon. How do you think it's going to play out uh, as we come back to a little sense of normal?
3: Well, I mean, I think the NBA is going to be the first to come back in terms of basketball. I think they will figure out a way to finish this season. There's too much money at stake, quite honestly. I mean, you know, Adam Silver talks about the health of the players and the people involved, in that, and I understand that. Uh, the hardest thing is the testing part of it because testing is day to day, and then getting the testing kits, but. I do think that the NBA will try to do something. Uh, you know, you think about it, and I get it I kind of think, well, you know, you know, you're gonna bring everyone to Vegas and first of all, Vegas is closed down. So it's it, you know, they, they can sanitize three you know, they they can put a, put the whole league in the wind and have that thing sanitized like they do for the summer league. Uh, you know, for the players that are talking about, well, I don't want to be away my family that long. Guys in the summer league, it's the funniest thing in the world. I and mean, I worked to used to work the summer league supposed to work this year. Players go for the whole three weeks. You could get the NBA season done in three weeks. So it's not like they'd be away from their family anymore. Or the, or the NBA could bring their families with them and give them everyone sweets. But I do think somehow, some way, at some time, the NBA will have some type of playoffs. It could be like the NCAA tournament. You know, the first. You know, until they get to the Elite Eight, it could be one, you know one and done. I mean, yeah, I mean, you 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 could create different types of brackets and give teams buys and things like that. But I I do think they, you know, they want a closure. A bigger thing with the NBA is, you know, as you guys know, you see this NBA Academy going on, Uh, you you know, you saw Jalen Green and you saw Isaiah Todd, who we had on our podcast yesterday, uh, you know, jumping to this NBA Academy, actually being recruited right off their college commitments. Uh, Well, at least Isaiah Todd to the Academy. Here's my question. What did the NBA and they're talking about only playing 12 games and maybe going overseas to play other NBA academies around the world. Well, here's my question: What if the NBA doesn't open up? So now these kids have given up their college education. The ones making like 500, ones making 250. Well, we know like you know, 500s, 350, maybe 300 after taxes, and you know, 250s, you know, probably 175, 150 somewhere in there. So like they're, they're throwing their college education away, and look, they're both good kids. With a lot of unknown, because the NBA just, the, the players in the NBA just took cuts. So I got to go, these contracts, these guys signed, are they going to be asked to take cuts? And then do they have the infrastructure with everything that's going on and the loss of money? Will the NBA create the infrastructure? The one thing about the NBA, it's a, I understand, the difference with college basketball is 100% Adam Silver treats, it's a business, and he, and he answers to the owners. So by, he sees guys going to Australia, he sees guys going to China, he said, wait a second, we got to create something here. The difference is China and Australia have infrastructure in place to help these guys in these type of academies. I'm interested to see how it plays out, uh, and I, I worry about that whole thing. And I'm get a little off target. I worry about the whole thing because I, I worry about. So here's two guys that have went. What if? What if? What if? They decide to have a draft, a two round draft for high school kids. Uh, like here's the deal: thirty guys a year make it in the league. That's it. Thirty guys a year. How many high school kids are basically going to drop out or stop doing what you're supposed to do academically, not continue to move forward, thinking they're going to put their names in a draft three years later? Those guys are no longer NBA players. Right? They're not ready for Europe because everyone thinks that people are just throwing money around in Europe. Europe is paid on not potential, but productivity. The NBA is paid on potential. So, I mean, we've got to find some way to make this thing better for the kids and for both the NBA and college basketball. And uh, hopefully they're going to come up with some type of agreement where we can mutually do what's best for the kids. And that's the biggest thing, What's because like, like, what, what, we're, we're going to ruin our lives. But I think the NBA will come back this summer at some point. I don't know when. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I surely think we need to wait for the medical people to say, hey, it's safe now. It would be great if some type of antibody drug would come up, that if someone did get sick. You could give them that and, and it would mitigate the situation, but who knows?
0: Yeah. I'm curious about eligibility and, and what that means for graduating high school kids. Or, you know, if you are a one year guy out of high school, are you now eligible for the NBA draft? I mean, it, it raises a lot of intriguing questions for for prospects and for, for potential NBA players.
3: NCAA eligibility is they're waiving the SAT and, and, and the SAT score. So you're going to see a, a, a group of kids potentially that now all of a sudden weren't eligible a week ago. And because of the virus, could potentially be eligible, which opens up another market for recruiting. So we got that. We got the transfer stuff going on. We've got the NBA Academy. There's a lot of stuff going on, considering you know that uh,
2: we're in the middle of a pandemic. Seth, I'm glad you brought up the transfer thing. How has that changed from when you first started uh, to what it is now? Because it seems like it's just so commonplace in college, both in basketball and football. But back in the day. It was you committed to a school and you stayed there. It wasn't like you could get Joe Burrow and all of a sudden he's in LSU becoming the Heisman winning quarterback within a year.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about the best quarterbacks in college football last year were all transfers, basically, excluded to them. Uh, so, I mean, like, first of all, the transfer portal is a phenomenon because it's almost like transfer portal to me looks a little bit like um, it did when guys put their names in the NBA draft. The guys want to see their name on the on bottom line. You know, throws in transfer portal and you got the gurus and the media guys that follow that stuff. They're, they're looking at that stuff every single day because they want and, and then they all put it out at the same time and act like they're breaking news. Dude, all you got to go is on the portal. I mean, there's no news to be broken. The players are breaking it for you. And, you know, it's almost like the dudes that are, you know, you know, are making commitments coming off of out of the portal. Like players are handling it on their own now. They're controlling their messaging. But then every single guru in college basketball, so-and-so committed to, you know, so, yeah, I see. I saw the video he did. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Uh, transferring, it's, it's different because kids today are transferring when they're starting. Kids today are transferring when they're averaging 12 and 14 points a game. There's no such thing as a mid-major because mid-major, this one-time transfer thing changes. And kids can do that, which is going to change in May. You're going to, the mid-major is going to be eliminated. It's going to be eliminated because after one year of a kid is good, people are recruiting that dude right off of that team and they're out. That's just the way it is. So like, you know, everyone says, well, what's going to happen? It's real simple. If you like, you know, I had a chance to take a mid-major job this year. You have to treat it like a junior college. Basically, if you're a mid-major coach and you go recruit a guy, and you basically say, Aaron, right, here's the deal, man. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to help you develop your game. I'm going to give you great exposure two years from now. Wherever you want to go, I'm going to pick up the phone and help you get there. That's crazy. But that's that's what's happening. And that is what is going to happen. And and if you're a mid-major program. If you're not Gonzaga, maybe St. Mary's, maybe a couple others, let me tell you something. You got no chance of holding on to a good player. None whatsoever. Because that dude's going to get that one-time exception. Now, here's the deal. Last year, all those grad transfers that that left to, to define greener pastures, do you know that I think there were 15 that were double-figure scores. graduate transfers? Not one of them averaged double figures at their new school. Wow. Not one. So it's it's crazy. The transferring is, is in vogue. The static around players is ridiculous. Uh, they all think they're better than they are. It's like going from high school to college is hard going from college, all right, and they they watch it on TV and they think that shit's easy. They say, you know, and then all of a sudden they get on campus and they're going to school, they're lifting, they got nutritionists, they got study table, they got film sessions, they got individual film sessions, they're playing against other good players. Like like Cleo Whitney's a perfect example. Like he played great last year in the the Nike, uh, LeBron James Skills Academy. Yeah, you know why, there's two things. One, no one plays any defense in those scrimmages. There's no defensive game plans. Uh, you know, he's playing against a bunch of guys that, you know, it, it's it's a scrimmage, it's like an N1 mixtape. It's like when people play well in the summer league, people say, oh man, that guy played great in the summer league. He's playing against a bunch of dudes that aren't gonna play in the league. <laughs> uh, you go to the summer league, you play well in the summer league. The guys on the summer league team, there might be one guy that's gonna end up on a roster. You better play well if you're, you know, you're worth anything. It's hard, and everyone thinks it's easy.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm curious. You talked a lot about how these transfers are going to be impacting, you know, power teams in the future, and how mid majors are going to be hurting. Let's pretend you're back at Virginia Tech, and you're trying to understand and identify potentials that are going to come to your team that are going to fit the style and the need that you all have. What types of analytic if any, did you guys run and use in the past? And what are you hearing that teams are doing today?
3: Well, here's the thing. I mean, like when you're looking at evaluating a high school kid or you're evaluating uh, even a transfer now, you gotta you got to look at that in relation to who they're playing against. So like, here's for example, like Christian uh, Keeling had, you know, was a great player at, at uh, Charleston Southern, I think. Right? He, had, like, he was a phenom in that league. I hate to tell you, but the big South ain't the freaking ACC. All right? And, like, the dudes you're scoring on, the dudes you're creating separation, nothing against him. All right? It's a different animal. So, like, if, you, if you're if you going to look in, in, and evaluate a kid up, first thing, if you do a at from a lower level, you got to look at positional size, athleticism, look at how he played against the other teams, the better teams that he played against. Then you got to look at when he scored his points. See, because every team has a leading scorer, number one. Every team has a leading rebound if you're looking at Bates. All right. Like like so if you're getting your ass kicked by North Carolina in a guarantee game, and at the end of that game, you know, when the Scribinis are in, when I'm in, all right, all of a sudden, you know, you knock down three threes or you score nine, eight points in the last four minutes. Yeah, I mean, but so even well, you know, he had twenty three against Carolina. And he's also had he had he had thirteen of them in the last four minutes of the game. Yeah. You got you gotta look at where, you know, when a guy did what he did. In relation to the game, and that would be something that you, would, you would want to document: what his shooting percentage, what he shot from three, uh, what was it? What, what you know, was he a volume shooter? What was his shot selection like? Uh, you'd actually evaluate every single one of his shots and look at, you know, is it a shot of a pass, off a bounce, uh, in transition against the, you know, who who is he playing against? Uh, and that's really important. Uh, you know, like like people are, the, you know, these transfers from lower levels. Some of them are good players, but some of them are like like a six foot two guard. All right, isn't going to be all that successful in the ACC unless he's really special. He can make a play for someone else. So you've really got to dig deep into it to know really you know who he is and how he wins. And then you've got to figure out like for me, like if Duke didn't guard if he wasn't competitive. If he wasn't tough. I don't care how many stinking points he was scoring. We weren't going to out talent. Duke and Carolina and Maryland back then and but we had to out tough them. And then we had to develop our players. And we had Malcolm Delaney and Jamon Gordon, Sammy Downdell, and Duran Washington was a genetic freak. But I mean, but we needed we needed toughness because the one thing about the ACC, uh, as you as you're going up, there are no rock and chair games in those leagues. Like you played a bad league, you're gonna have some rock and chair games where one, if you're worth a shit, you're gonna win. And number two is you're going to put up numbers. you get into the ACC, all right? And that's the great Skip Prosser told me this. He said, You know, we were number one the country at one time. He said, And all of a sudden, then I looked at our schedule. We had Duke, Carolina, Maryland, and I think one other. He goes, We went from number one, we lost four in a row. You know, so, I mean, like, you don't have that. Like, you know, the example, like when I was at Long Beach State, we had really good teams. We had guys that played in the NBA. Look, I I was undefeated against San Jose State. I never lost to them ever. I mean, when we got going. We never we hardly ever lost to Cal State Fullerton. We ever. They, you know, there were three or four teams in the league that like we were going to get healthy. So you know, when you play in 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 you know, the Power Five conferences, it's harder. Like, look at the Big Ten this year. Like, your closest thing to getting healthy was maybe Nebraska. You know, maybe at Northwestern. 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 Like you didn't play well, you were getting your ass kicked. That's just the way it was. So it's hard. So you got to look at it in relation to when, where, how, uh, how the guys were getting scored. That was a big
2: thing, Long Coach. Years. I'm glad you brought up beating Duke and UNC. I know you beat Kansas as well when I, you are at Long I, Beach State.
3: Yeah, bringing up Duke, beating Duke, Carolina, and Kansas. Try to bring that up. It makes me feel good about myself. <laughs>
2: Well, I was just going to ask you, what was kind of what's one of your favorite memories from being a coach? What's any special moments that you kind of uh, talk about at the top of your, your Mount Rushmore of coaching moments?
3: Uh, well, you know, every game has a story. So like, you know, the, the Kansas game when they were number one in the country, we, put, we beat UOP at our place on a, uh, on a Thursday night, I think. We were supposed to take a red eye to uh, Richmond, Virginia uh, to play VCU on that Saturday. So it got canceled, canceled, delayed, 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 delayed. We finally got to Richmond at, I think nine o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, Been at the airport the whole day, brutal trip. Uh, didn't even walk through at the arena, went to the arena, pregame meal went over. We lost by a hundred points. I almost got thrown out. Sonny Smith walked down to my bench, uh, they were up by about 100. He put his arm around me. He goes, now, Seth, you don't want to get thrown out right now. You're getting your ass kicked. What's the sense of getting thrown out? I said, you're right, son. I'm not going to get thrown out. <laughs> well, then we flew to Lawrence the next game. So we just got whooped by 100. Now, VCU was good. We go to Kansas. They're number one in the country. They played on the road on that Saturday. We're playing on a Monday. Uh, I had a good team. I had Lucius Harris, Brian Russell. I both played in the NBA. And uh, the bounce back of going from losing by 100 to... Beating the number one team in the country by 16, that was pretty cool, and that was similar to like everyone talks about the, when we beat Duke when they were number one in the country for College Game Day. But we lost to Duke the first time we played at Duke. Um, we lost by 100. I got thrown out that game, and uh, <laughs> and about three weeks later we played them. I mean, like they threw they shot 8,000 free throws. It was a joke. Uh, I, I should have got thrown out earlier. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that even did have the balls to throw me out earlier when I should have got thrown out. They waited <laughs> for the end. Uh, so we come back and we played him about three weeks later. I had Jeff King, who played for the Carolina Panthers on my team. I said, Jeff, you got one job in this game. And they had Sheldon Williams. That's the first time Sheldon Williams ducks in from the weak side. I said, I want you to knock his ass into the third row. <laughs> and, and Jeff King's the greatest kid in the world. I said, you're, you're playing. You're going to play 20, 30 minutes in this game. First time, De- Shell Williams ducks in. He goes, bam! Knocks his ass right down. No call. I said, "Ooh, this is good." And we end up beating them after them beating by, us by 100. That was J.J. Reddick's senior year. He was co- his homecoming back to Roanoke. J.J. was a great, he was a great, great guy. He is a great, unbelievable person. Uh, but we played our tails off. And at the end of the game, Jeff makes the biggest play of the game. There's a loose ball, and he literally dives from one side of the floor to the other side of the floor to get the loose ball uh, to secure the win. And so that was a kind of a cool one. And then, you know, beating Duke on game day or winning the game we beat one at Duke. I mean, I was four, I had good players. And our guys played really hard. And we had we beat four number one teams. Uh all of them were good. I mean like, you know, look man, hey, winning beats the shit out of losing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, like winning's hard. Like people that look, you guys are like you, I mean, you guys do a bunch of gambling. Like the other guys trying to win too. Like, like like that's why that's why those guys in, in Vegas are good. But I mean, like the other guys trying to win also. So it it's really hard. But I'd say you know the Duke win at Duke followed up we beat Carolina at Carolina. Those were both overtime wins. Like to win at Duke and win at Carolina in overtime is like an amazing phenomenon uh, because. Let's face it. Funny things happen in overtime when you play at Duke and Carolina. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's been, like this amazing stuff that happens. So, those were uh, those were two ones. The Kansas win was a great one. The first time we went to the NCAA tournament, at Long Beach State was phenomenal. Uh, you know, in Long Beach, we were in Long Beach. Uh, that was an incredible feeling for those players. And then the second time we went in Long Beach, we won in an overtime. I had Kenny Eric Brown, who was a terrific shooter. I literally called a timeout just to put him in to run a play. And I said, he you're gonna oh, knock down this three, game's over, we're going home. And he looked at me like I was nuts because he hadn't played in a while. And we ran the play, we executed it. It was a little screen to screen with an empty side and boom, he catches it and knocks down, and knocks down a three. And uh, that was a pretty cool moment because our president, that game was at UNLV, our president got fired at UNLV, Dr. Maxson. And I literally called him up the day before the game. This was the championship game in the Big West. I said, Doc, we're winning tomorrow, and I need you to be there. I know you don't want to bring attention to yourself, but I want to hand the trophy to you tomorrow when we win this thing. And he came down just for that, and literally right in front of the middle of Thomas Mack, I took that trophy, and I handed it, I handed it right to Dr. Mack, who was really, really really good to me and my family. And uh, that was a, a cool moment for me because he, you know, a lot of things, sometimes you, you, know, you do things for others that's important, and, you know, it was important for me to have him know how much we appreciated
0: it. That's a great story. I mean, that week beating uh, Duke and you and C in the same week is crazy. Do you uh, game plan any differently knowing that you're going up against someone like Coach K? Or is it all just kind of, you know, your your game well, plan? I
3: kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> that, that concerned me. You know, I'll tell you how you game plan. What you game plan, and, and this is something for, I would think most people, but everything we did. Uh, in terms of trying to figure out how we who we were and how we would win, was to beat the best teams in our league. So everything you did preseason was to beat Duke and Carolina. So, like, if you're going to beat Duke and Carolina, there's a couple things you had to be able to do. You had to be able to play against pressure. You had to do a good job under glass. You had to do a good job defensive transition because Carolina, the first thing words you say to your team when you play Carolina is, get back because they're coming, they're coming at your warp speed. So, you know, Everything we did in terms of our base was to move the defense and then drive them. Because one thing Carolina had in common those years is they guarded every inch of the floor. So if I could make them chase us just a little bit, all right, that would open up the court. The further they chased us, the more the floor was open. Now they call like people say pack line or gaps or shrink the court. Well, they they didn't shrink the court. They challenged every catch. So if we could move them and stretch them, the further they got stretched out, then we had to be in a situation where we could drive them. And now when you drove them, you could force the bigs to come up and help. So you could either punch it to, the, you know, throw the lob, or you could put it on the glass and get the offensive glass. So that was the baseline of what we did. And, you know, yeah, each one of those, like you play Carolina coming out of timeout, all right, uh, they're, if, if they're shooting a free throw, they're going there to scramble. Or if or it's a dead ball and you go the other way, they're going to a scramble. You've got to understand it. You know, you shoot a free throw against Carolina, they're shooting it. They're looking to back tap. Like the play this year where, where um, they beat, um, they had that crazy game where they actually lost uh, to uh, Duke, where Duke back tapped. Carolina was the best at it. We lost in the, in the ACC tournament to a back tap to uh, to a Hansboro, ended up with a loose ball in the ACC tournament. It was semifinals, ACC tournament would have put us in the NCAA tournament. Um, so there's certain things each team does that you know you've got to be able to defend. So you know we would look at those things preseason and we would drill them without mentioning Duke or Carolina. And then we'd have our baseline in that we knew we had to run against those guys, whether our stagger series, our our, our double ball, uh, drag ball screens, or three or four things that we did knowing we practiced that every day knowing that for those four games we had to be good at those things and we we're going to be able to beat the best team in the league
0: now obviously there's a ton of work behind the scenes do you, do you miss game planning and spending the long hours breaking down the tape and, and analyzing it or is that something that you're happy that you're no longer having to worry about
3: i do that now that's what i do all day i mean i i don't need to know one opponent now i need to know about a We need to know in the studio. Studio's different than calling games. Now, I I, I love calling games, but the studio's where I get paid. And, uh, you know, know, Monday, Tuesday, all season, feast week, all season, ACC, Big 10, every every night. um, I've got to know 150 teams, minimum. And that means analytics, matchups, strengths, weaknesses. So I I spend uh, all summer, about three hours a day all summer, Create these, I, I can pull what I've for you want. I have these huge notebooks where I have all my notes. I actually handwrite them. I know you high-tech dudes. Put them on it and your iPad. <laughs> I'm an idiot, but it's the way I learn, and I can look back. So the first month of the season, I really use that. And then what I do is, as the season goes along, I, I work with our researchers, and we create scenarios of the top 100 teams, and we update them every two weeks, uh, so I watch a lot of film now. But, I, look, the greatest thing about coaching is impacting someone's life. The greatest thing about po- coaching is helping someone get somewhere they can't get themselves. That sounds like a cliche. The coolest thing I have going on right now with the quarantine is I have three text chains with my former teams. So, I, I'm like, this morning, I'm texting with my guys in South Florida, Virginia Tech, all right, and Long Beach State. Like, to me, that's what you get into coaching. Like, when I first got coaching, my, my first job, I got, to, I got paid twelve five, man. I mean, you know, so I, like, I wasn't the generation that got into coaching to get, make money. Now, I ended up at the end making some money. I was the lowest paid coach in the league, but I, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but that's not why I got coaching. I had no, I'd never, my first job at Columbia, I'd never asked what I was getting paid and had no idea until I got my first check. And then, but honestly, at, at that age, coming out of Harvard on the Hackensack, further Dickinson, I had no idea how much crap was taken out of your check. So, um, <laughs> I said, holy, geez, I got how much am I, what am I making here? Like, you know, and so, I mean, I wasn't part of the generation that got into coaching for flying on charter planes and doing the things that guys do today. It's just, it was it was a different, it was a different world. I got coaching because I loved the game. I heard UB Brown speak at the five-star camp and was mesmerized. And I never remembered a time I didn't want to coach. So. It's, you know, it, it, it's different. So I love the game. I'm in, I am get lost in the game. I get lost in preparation, doing what I'm doing now. No different. You can't fake TV. Some dudes can fake it. I can't fake it. you like like, you know, I'm not going to BS and throw crazy numbers. I'm going to tell some people what happened and why it happened. And to do that, you better do your homework.
2: I was just going to ask what it's like to uh, reach the top of Mount Everest when you beat Coach K. What does that post? game conversation, like what's the handshake like with Roy Williams or Jim Beheim after you've you've upset them at their place?
3: Well, here's the thing, Beheim. I never beat Beheim. That's my guy too. Like we never we never wanted we Syracuse. He never played in Blacksburg. Uh, well, Coach K, you know, I, I, I rate all the handshakes, and so like there's there's different guys have different handshakes. Like, you know, Coach K, if he beats you, he's going to give you the handshake with the shoulder pad. Like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> the way it is now, Coach Williams. Uh, you know, if he whoops your ass pretty good, all right, he's going to give you the handshake, with the arm around the neck, and tell you that you know they, that they played the very best they played all season, and you know you're going to be all right. Just hang in there. Then you get my man Jim Laranaga, who's one of my dearest friends, but he doesn't he doesn't believe in handshakes, so he gives you the wet fish. <laughs> uh, you're, and then of course you know you have the blow bys. Like the thing is, like my daughters who grew up with me in this profession, I'd come home from watching film and practice about seven thirty or eight. They'd be finishing dinner, and like the first series of maybe it was nine o'clock in the game. The first set of games on ESPN were over, and, and I'd, I'd come in and you know how's it ever going? And, and forget about it, hey dad how you doing or how was practice. I'd get you wouldn't believe the blow by in so and so's game. It was unbelievable, <laughs> and that's what. <laughs> Daughters grow up uh, experiencing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's all kind. Then mean, it's the pregame, like you know, the pregame thing is, is, is another like, what do you say to a guy before the game? Like, do you really want to say good luck? I mean, shoot, I wasn't. But I, I mean, yeah. But you know, then some guys, you know, well, well, like Coach Coach K played for my college coach. He was an assistant coach in Army for Coach Knight. So Coach K would always, you know, give me something about Coach slow and and that situation and, you know, other, you know, I came out for warmups, which was different. So I'd come out while the guys were warming up. So sometimes guys are out for warmups. So like, you know, you'd be sitting with Roy and, you know, Roy would, you know, who knows, he'd be talking about one of his 8,000 golf clubs or something like that, that is not You know, kind of conversational, nothing, nothing too interesting. And sometimes you talk to guys just about like, what's going on in the bit, you know, in in the profession. Like Tom Izzo and I are dear dear friend. So I mean the few times that we played them, it was always in East Lansing, unfortunately. Um but it was uh you know we talk about just what what's going on. But you know that's you you, you miss relationship with the players, you miss the relationships with um you know with your peers. That's why you know you know I spend every day talking to coaches. And I think they um being one of theirs, I, I think I'm trusted. And the hardest thing I ever do is after I got after I got whacked uh, ESPN wanted me to go to Orlando for the AU tournament. And I sat in my car for about 45 minutes. I, I was not, I mean, I had a hard time getting out of that car to go into the gym because I was no longer a coach. You know, I mean, I, you know, I was, but I wasn't. And the coolest thing is the second I walked in the gym, I must have had 20 30 guys in the first half hour come up to me, you know, just, you know, as as peers. And it's it stayed that way. It's it stayed that way for the last eight years, which is you know, really, really cool. That I think that they know that I'm going to be honest and straightforward. And, uh, you know, if I say something, like I try to say things that they're saying to their teams. And that's like, to, like I said something about a Kentucky a couple of years back where they weren't playing together when they had Kevin Knox and, and that team that was really, really talented. And we had to go to game day at Kentucky that Saturday. So I get a call from Cal on uh, Wednesday, he goes. I got to do me a favor. and I thought, oh shit, I mean, he's gonna rip my ass up. He goes, he goes. What you said is 100% true. I want you to speak to my team. Right, so literally, we got to game day on Friday, and practice is over. And I knew all those guys, I guess I work Cal's fantasy camp. And he said, you know, Seth, you know, what did you mean when you said what you said? And I, I basically told him. It was it was a funny story because I asked Kevin Knox how many points he scored in college in high school. And he said he didn't know, and I said, "Come on, man, come on. Okay, you know exactly how many freaking points you scored in high school." He goes, "Right, two thousand I said, "Here's the deal. That dude's got to get shots." My guy's like, "Okay." And then Shea Gills just on his handle, like, "Like right, the ball's gonna be in your hands. Cause Cal's giving you the ball. You got to make." Play. Anyway, we went we went through that, and, and P.J. Washington was on that team as well. And it's interesting because when they went to the tournament, P.J. Washington did a really nice thing. He had been interviewed. And, and asked, he said, you know what? He said, Coach Cal was telling the same us the same stuff day in, day in, day out. He said, Coach Greenberg came to the locker room and said, told us this. And it was the same thing Cal said. It was like, damn. And uh, you know, those kids are really good. Let me I said, the kids at Kentucky, those kids are such good kids. And uh, they work so hard and Cal coaches them so hard. Uh and that's the thing, college basketball is great kids. If you, if you sat and watched a Michigan, you know, like people look at the coach coaches and see how hard he coaches his team. Damn, he should coach his team. hard. Just trying to help those guys get better and be, and be great and get a chance to, you know, be special. Well, why would you be afraid to coach your team? And, you know, th- that's the problem. There are a group of guys that's uh, good players that are afraid to coach their team. And that, and that's the problem. Those guys are, those guys are great. And, uh, and my relationship with my peers hasn't changed. Uh, all that drastically since I've been you know, trying to have I've uh, been undefeated for eight years. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: the best way to look at it. Uh, I'm just gonna say you mentioned Roy Williams's golf club. Have you ever gone golfing with him or Coach K?
3: Coach K do not play golf. He shows up the day, uh, only one day for the ACC meetings. I played. I played uh, behind Roy at league meetings. He's a really good golfer. He's a really good golfer. I mean, really good. Um, you know, I kind of scrape it around as a nine or something but he's a really really good golfer uh, but he he has a lot of memberships too like I want to play with Roy Moore because he, he doesn't play he don't play bad courses I mean uh, you Roy Williams, you can get on most courses
0: you'd have to hope so I was gonna ask what is there a uh, golf course that you haven't played that you uh, are really dying to play shoot there's a lot of them
3: uh, got, <laughs> Can you guys get me on you got any juice I may or may not have
0: a connection to the Masters. Now, I can't get you to play the course. I can maybe hook you up with uh, getting tickets, though.
3: <laughs> well, we got my man Lotto Griffin, who was a Blacksburg High School kid, who actually went with Paige to the prime. I let that gangster go with her to the prime. I don't know why. <laughs> who uh, <laughs> hopefully will play in his first Masters in November. Uh, he won the Houston Open. just a great kid, actually. I did an Instagram Live with him last week. But uh, I, I played some cool course. Cool. I played at uh, not Augusta, but there's a place called Sage Valley in South Carolina, which is right up the street from... Augusta, which is a cool place. Uh, I had a chance to for coaches vs cancer. Uh, we've played a lot of cool places. Uh, last year we I played Shadow Creek, which was cool Vegas in Vegas and the uh, Southern Highlands in the wind, not fun. <laughs> uh, Who cool? I mean, I I've been really places. A great place in Baltimore called Caves Valley. That's terrific, absolutely terrific. I played Congressional, that was fun in uh, John Feinstein's uh, tournament for uh, Bruce Edwards. So. I'm American. Basically, America's guest.
0: All right. Love it. Who's uh, winning in a match of golf? You versus Jay Billis.
3: Billis. Now, Billis is a member of Pine Valley. I'm still waiting on that invitation. Make sure you tweet. <laughs> we'll tweet him uh, out that one. Bill, Bill I played Bill play golf. Billis and I played golf. He gets really serious. And if he's playing bad, he, you know, he can get a little surly. shocking. <laughs> uh, he's so much fun to play with that, but he, he hits it long. You know, I'm old and decrepit. I mean, he's in his fifties. I mean, he hits it long. He 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 knows more about golf than I do. I kind of scrape it around. It's a great thing about handicaps.
0: Yep, levels um, the playing field.
3: <laughs> he's, uh, he Jay Jay's a good golfer. He played. He plays really good courses. Like, he's remember, I the Charlotte Country Club. And, uh, he's a good player. I, like the green, I played in the Greenbrier Pro Am the last four years, and that place is is is, is, is something else. So it's uh. uh Nothing better than a rebar.
0: So in your Twitter bio, you say that you're a pizza expert. Now we're Connecticut guys. I like to consider myself a little pizza expert as well. What's your favorite yeah, where, where go-to you? spot? I, I'm a local
3: guy though. Like, like, you know, I, like I, can, I, go to, I go to Da Vinci or I go to Max and Mia. I go to uh, uh, Luna Pizza. I go to uh, my, my, my place at uh, E and D Pizza. I just go to a whole of all places. I just like pizza, as you can tell.
0: There's nothing around that. I started making my own pizza. You ever been to uh, Pepe's or Sally's in uh, New Haven? No, you know what? I, ha-
3: I drive by that side every time I go into the city, and uh, that's a big ass pizza they make there. Oh yeah. So no, I, I, I have it. I got to make that stop next time I'm allowed out of my house. I got to make that stop.
0: <laughs> so we wanted to bring it full circle. This weekend, uh, we know ESPN is finally dropping the uh, the Bulls Jordan documentary. Um, do you have any good stories? I know uh, you're doing they have Instagram more live. And great-
3: Sorry about Jordan. Uh, I've got two, but I'll give you I'll give you one. and I'm going to have Buzz Peterson on, obviously, at 4 o'clock on Instagram Live. He's going to have a lot of great stories. Because he was, you understand, he was a player of the year in North Carolina uh, the year that Jordan was a senior also. Well, I thought that's a bad value in his day And he was his roommate. How about Jordan looking over and going, this dude's a player of the year in North Carolina? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but when I was... I worked a five-star basketball camp and... Um, and Jordan going into, I think his junior year, maybe his junior or senior year, Dave Odom, who was the coach uh, at that point in East Carolina. He was working camp and I'm sitting there for tryouts and all that jazz. And and, uh, and I said, uh, and Dave comes up to me and Dave's one of the great guys of all time. And he goes, Bert, there's a dude here, no one knows who he is. He's the best player in the camp. He's unbelievable. He had this thick Southern accent. He's unbelievable. And people have no idea who he is. Everyone's talking about Joe Ward, jumping Joe Ward from Georgia. I'm telling you. So who is it? He goes, he goes. You'll see. You'll see. Go to tryouts. it. So there's a guy in tryouts. Looks pretty good. Uh, and then he goes, "Did you see you guys? So, yeah, I saw a guy?" I said, I So a guy looked pretty good, but I was through, I was on another court. Blah 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 blah. He goes tomorrow, the first game. He's going to play again. this guy's going to play against Joe Ward at court three. And all of a sudden, this dude was. In, in five star, so you played the second and fourth; those are the best players. Then you had a horse who could play at least three quarters. So he played three quarters. I think he dropped forty on jumping Joe Ward, uh, and it was a joke. Now Joe Ward was supposed to be this great player. He literally, I think, ruined poor Joe Ward's career. But it was my, it was my, and he was unbelievable. He was MVP in the camp, MVP of the All Star game. I mean, he he was he was ridiculous. And uh, you know, obviously, special player. And then Dan Dockage, my guy from our podcast. We were we were in Virginia. We were going to play the winner of of Carolina, Indiana, to go to the Final Four. And thank goodness Dockage locked up Jordan because we couldn't beat Jordan, Worthy, Perkins, and uh, and Kenny Smith. We- that was a little much for us to beat. Indiana beat them, and then we beat we beat Indiana, which was pretty cool.
0: That's what- wild
3: or Jordan was. Dave on he goes, This dude is
0: unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, Seth. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, they, did you want to plug the podcast?
3: Yeah. Uh, World's Greatest Podcast, better known as Courtside Greenberg and Dockage. Uh, this week we are going to have the Van Gundy brothers together.
2: Oh, very uh, fun.
3: Talking a little bit about you know, how their dad was a junior college coach, great coach, and how they got into it and defending Michael Jordan and Their careers, and then we're gonna have my guy Jay Will, the little brother that I never wanted. Uh, He's gonna be on also. Uh, We've got one coming out. We did Leonard Hamilton yesterday with Isaiah Todd, that's coming out today. So, uh, but the the thing with the Van Gundy is gonna be unbelievable. Those guys are incredible, and they are great storytellers.
0: I believe it. I grew up a Knicks fan, and Jeff, those are my highlight years. Those are the good years of the Knicks where he was the coach. So I love uh, Van Gundy. Any story he tells, I'm willing to listen.
3: (laughs) better having pat ewing tell the story how he how he was holding on to uh oakley's leg or someone whose leg and and like pat tells it like go jeff what the hell are you doing
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh one of my favorite moments as a, a knicks fan well seth we really want to thank you for coming on right. much appreciate it it was thank a good you. time and uh thank you again all right man be safe guys okay thanks See so much later. seth you stay safe as well all right guys that's a that's a great episode in the books. We got some good stories. We got some Coach K, got some Jordan. He Maybe was just a cool,
1: cool, dude. Yeah, yeah. super cool yeah, dude. Yeah,
2: seriously, super downer. Yeah. a cool guy. Well, we hope all the it's listeners fascinating when it. coach Brian Russell too, because Jordan hit that shot over him.
0: Yeah, <laughs> one of uh, I, I gotta say it's definitely our our best interview. One of the more fun episodes we've had here. Guys, thank you for coming on. Thank you, Seth. And uh, we will see everybody next week on Double Down Trend. Baby,
3: look at me. Look at me. Your money. You know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's Um, who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.